All right, let's make a short cross over to the United States of America. Celeste Katz Marston is on the line right now. Hello, Celeste. Good morning. It's late. What? Well, no, it's just after one, isn't it, in, in Boston? What's the weather like where you are? Uh, much better. For a while, it was really hot, just 90 or 100 degrees Ooh. Fahrenheit yeah. uh, every day. But uh, it's uh, the 1st of September is bringing some welcome, welcome respite from that. Uh, very nice. Very nice indeed. Now, the President of the United States, President Biden, he's about to make a, a primetime address. And uh, it's to sort of, a, well, talk about the extreme threat to democracy, he says. Um, those of the Republican Party that are, uh, well, he, here he is. So let's have a listen to what he had to say. So let me say this to my MAGA Republican friends in Congress. Don't tell me you support law enforcement if you won't condemn what happened on the 6th. Don't tell me. Yeah, so he's basically going to chat about the, the MAGA um, movement, isn't he? The extreme threat to democracy as he sees it uh, with his criticisms of the Republicans coming into the midterms. Yeah, basically he's going to Philadelphia, sort of the the cradle of the Declaration of Independence and, you know, a very strong association with with, uh, the history of American democracy uh, to talk about what he's calling this sort of ultra-MAGA movement, MAGA being the shorthand for the Make America Great Again slogan that was used by Donald Trump, although was also used by Ronald Reagan, I think, in yes. sort of a different way yes. uh, in the past. But he's basically saying, you know, as you, as you had it in that in that clip just a moment ago, that they are um, there are forces within the Republican Party, specifically those aligned uh, very strongly with Donald Trump, that are doing things that are dangerous for American democracy, like for example, supporting or condoning or abetting political violence, like what we saw at the U.S. Capitol on um, January 6th, or uh, making laws that make it harder to vote, spreading lies about um, you know, supposedly um, American elections being rigged or fraudulent or not legitimate. And he's basically saying, look, if, you, um, if you're going out in the midterms, um, Think about this. Think about who you're voting for. Think about who you're supporting and what they will do to advance those kind of ideas. You know, he's really calling out people who are are doing things. Uh, you know, as you say, that he believes are are anathema to American democracy as we know it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because there's been no proof that uh, anything untoward ever happened. So yet they're still running with that line, aren't they? That uh, the the election was stolen. Yeah, I mean, the former president, Donald Trump, uh, who has been talking, of course, about running again and when he's going to do it and if he's going to do it and so on. But he is still out there saying, essentially, that uh, the election uh, shouldn't have been certified, that he should be reinstated as president, that Joe Biden is not the real president of the United States. All of those things we know to be categorically false. Those are just lies. And so Biden... Um, you know, has been talking about unity and trying to sort of downplay Trump or ignore him or minimize him and get on with the business of running this country. But, uh, you know, we are in election season, the midterm season. And, uh, you know, he's he's sort of changing his tone, but also just, I think, taking this moment to sound what he sees as a very important alarm about uh, forces that are are still trying to gain power in government at all levels here. Yeah, okay. And when does he make that speech? Later today, your time. 
Yeah, he'll make that a primetime 8 o'clock, I believe, uh, this evening. Now, workplace culture has gone through so many changes after COVID-19, including what we all know of as the great resignation. Some workers uh, these days are negotiating for better work conditions and benefits uh, with their newfound leverage after COVID-19. The latest trend you're telling me has been labelled quiet quitting. I think it's about closing your laptop at five o'clock and only doing what you necessarily need to do. Is that right? Yeah, this is something that people have been talking about quite a bit lately. And I don't know, my my husband is one of the people who thinks this is not really a thing, but I think it's a thing that people like to talk about or like to think about. But it's basically this idea that um, you shouldn't make yourself crazy over your job, that you should work to live and not live to work. And so quiet quitting just means not taking on extra responsibilities, not staying up late, not derailing your personal life for your professional life. Um, some people might say that's just common sense, but um, certainly in the workplace culture that we've had for a very long time, and I was definitely one of these people, um, the job becomes everything. And, um, you know, you're, you sort of lose sight sometimes of why am I doing this? Like, are there other things besides being in the office, answering emails at 11 o'clock or one o'clock in the morning or something like that? Um, so, but they've called this quiet quitting because some people basically are taking it to mean, well, I'm making a conscious decision to kind of check out and do the bare minimum I can do without getting fired. Yeah, because I mean, we're available, aren't we, with our mobile phones 24 7. It's crazy to be checking your emails when you've got a day off. It's, it doesn't, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, I think that and I think that you've seen probably some of the studies that showed that uh, during the the most extreme portions of the pandemic, uh, when people were working from home, people actually worked more. There wasn't a a separation uh, between your work life and your personal life. And people had this expectation, developed this expectation that you would be on call all the time. But as you say, um, during the pandemic, people really took stock of what their work life was. And they realized maybe, you know, in some cases, their life was a lot better, not commuting as much, not spending uh, the same amount of time in an office environment, spending more time with their families, or even just on themselves. Um, so I think this is, I don't know if this is not necessarily the next big thing per se, quiet quitting, but I think it's sort of indicative of a larger shift in the way people are thinking about the relationship between their jobs and the rest of their yeah, lives. I know it, uh, you know, over the last couple of years with COVID-19 has made us stop, slow down a little bit and think about what we're doing. We've just been under the, under the, the pump over recent years and things getting faster and faster and faster and suddenly there was that stop. It's been nice to have a bit of time with family and friends and now the the negotiating begins with better work conditions and working from home. I think it's really important, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And people are having those discussions. Some companies are taking a a harder line. But I mean, if you want to get really sort of philosophical and existential, right? If you know, why are we having these talks more about working from home or freelancing or these kinds of things? It's because we've just spent the past couple of years, uh, you know, to you know, to varying degrees, shut in our homes because of a pandemic that was killing millions of people. 
Yeah. I mean, if you want if you want to look at this big picture about what are we working for or what are we doing with our time, having a, a disease sweep over the entire planet and carry away millions of people uh, would seem to be a, a triggering moment to think <laughs> to oh, think yeah. those thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I was, yay, I'm an essential worker, yay. And then it was like, hang on, I'm one of only very few coming in to work, everyone's else. And, and it was incredible to see how few people were about the city. I mean, Sydney is a big city and, and there was not many people around at that time for the last couple of years. Yeah, there were points. I remember at, at the beginning when it first started and I, I had to I had to go to the store for something um, when we were on uh, lockdown curfew in, in Boston and just the silence was terrifying. Yeah. I think there was like one ambulance. There was maybe one guy on a motor scooter, basically no cars, hardly anybody walking around. And the people who were walking around were looking kind of suspicious of, of the other few people walking around. It was <laughs> it, it was very it was very frightening. Very eerie, yeah. I walked around, I hopped off a ferry and walked around Circular Quay and around the Opera House in Sydney. And I was taking photos, not of the sights, but of the, the the walkway where there was just nobody. There was nobody around and it was just uh, freakish. It was incredible, really amazing. Um, now, marijuana use is outpacing <laughs> cigarette use for the first time in the United States, according to a new poll. How come this? I, I know that there's a lot of states uh, decriminalizing it and, and making it legal, right? Yeah, I think that part of that is is certainly that some states are taking a much more open approach to marijuana. They figure it's around. If it's a regulated industry, it can be taxed, which is a big thing. Um, but I think there's also some element of people having come to a realization and children learning uh, the fact that cigarettes are very dangerous for you, um, that they can cause all sorts of cancers, that they can you know, lead to all sorts of other health problems. And you know, if you think about it in the scope of human history, the warnings about cigarette smoking and tobacco use haven't been around that long, haven't been mandated officially for that long, but also sort of a societal shift. Smoking, if you think about it, uh, was always depicted in films and, and so on, um, or maybe even in theater and other popular culture as being cool, as being kind of normal. I mean, we're really not that far away, uh, at least in American life, from doctors appearing in advertisements yeah. for cigarettes. But, you know, over time, though, the shift in the in the, you know, people the level of people being convinced that this is not cool and is not good for you um really seems to be taking effect um, yeah. at the same time maybe some of the the uh misconceptions or previous beliefs about the dangers of uh marijuana or the active ingredients in marijuana i'm not sure that smoking it is smoking anything is particularly great for you but um you know people are understanding over time that it's not sort of i don't know reefer madness or something like that <laughs> um and so you know attitudes yeah. on both sides are changing it is changing and changing quickly celeste katz marston thank you so much for having a chat with us from boston about the latest news from the u.s great to catch up rod quinn back next uh, next time you're on okay thank you so much it was a pleasure